Welcome to the Murthy teleconference series designed to benefit employers of foreign nationals. We would like to take this opportunity to remind you that the information you're about to receive is exclusive copyrighted material of the Murthy Law Firm. Accordingly, any unauthorized recording is prohibited by law and cannot be disseminated without our prior written permission. Without further ado, it is our pleasure and honor to introduce attorney Sheila Murthy. Welcome. I am Sheila Murthy, president and founder of the Murthy Law Firm. I'm delighted and honored to have with us both Ashley Barbone and Joel Yanovich from the Murthy Law Firm, who have years of experience doing H-1Bs and non-immigrant related work. We're also delighted that you have made time in your busy day to join us and participate in today's teleconference on H-1B amendments, legal requirements, and practical tips. The issue that often comes up that you often call us with consultations or wonder about is, when do I really need to file an H-1B amendment? It obviously has become an extremely important topic now for you all as employers, partially because of the government reviewing these cases more carefully. Uh, and although there's been no specific change in the law, the practical effect has been a policy shift with both the USCIS and the Fraud Detection and National Security, which you may have heard about us discuss this topic recently. In, very, in recent statements, the USCIS, especially the California Service Center, has indicated that they are now taking the position that an amended H-1 petition must be filed whenever there is either a change in the work location or if there is an end client change. If there is a failure to file an amended petition, this could cause the H-1 worker to be considered to have fallen out of status, and the H-1B employer is considered to be not in compliance with the terms and conditions of that particular H-1 petition. As you know, as I alluded to this just a few minutes ago, the USCIS has been con conducting post-approval site visits to the work location, which is listed on the Form I-129, to verify whether the particular H-1B worker or workers is working at that location, doing the work that they're supposed to for that end client, et cetera. So these site visits could lead to follow-up emails and sometimes a notice of intention to revoke or NOIR of the petition itself. In addition, USCIS will then likely issue some kind of an RFE or request for evidence on the H-1 extension petitions to determine if the worker has maintained status during the initial first one-year or three-year term of the initial petition to determine whether or not to approve the extension. So if I can start with you, Ashley, why do, you know, what exactly does the USCIS regulations explain or require for about H-1 peti uh, petition amendments? Okay. Thank you, Sheila. Uh, the regulations don't state much. They're, they're rather vague. However, uh, what they do say is that the petitioner shall immediately notify the service if there's any changes in the terms or conditions of the H-1B employment, which could affect their eligibility. The regulations also state that a petitioner shall file an amended or new petition with the service center to reflect any material changes in the terms or conditions of employment or the alien's eligibility as specified in the original approved petition. 
What's not clear is what or when is immediate, and what does material change mean? Very little practical guidance is provided by the USCIS and the regulations.、Uh, while They don't give specific examples of when an amended petition must be filed. It's generally accepted that a change in the H-1B worker's occupation or a reduction in their pay or number of hours, especially moving from full-time to part-time or part-time to full-time, would constitute a material change that would require an amended petition. Okay, so this is like the tip of the iceberg. It's like, okay, what's a material change? So next. Joel, if I can jump to you now, what does the U.S. Department of Labor say about a change in an employee's work location? Well,、uh, thank you, Sheila.、Uh, the Department of Labor, the DOL, has some information or some regulations regarding a change in work location.、Um, you should note that they are only dealing with the LCA,、um, the notice of postings. They're not dealing with the petition because the Department of Labor has really nothing to do with the actual petition. So the fact that the DOL is silent on the petition shouldn't really be taken to mean anything.、Um, as far as the LCA goes, the DOL breaks it down into basically two general areas. One is where there is a change in a work location within the same metro statistical area or MSA,、um, which would basically be a normal commuting distance、um, from one one location to another. And if it's within the same MSA, then the DOL states that you have the employer has to repost the L- LCA posting notice or the certified LCA at the new worksite prior to moving the、uh, the H1B worker to the new location.、Um, if it is with outside of the M- MSA or the area of the intended employment that's covered by the certified LCA, that is when a new、uh, certified LCA is required. That's required prior, again, prior to moving、uh, the employee to the new location. Ah, maybe that's where the confusion is because a lot of employers just follow the Department of Labor guidelines about posting a new LCA instead of looking at the USCIS regulations, which talk about a material change and an immediate requirement to notify the service or the USCIS.、Right. So, if I can jump back to you, Ashley, has there been any kind of a change in the law?、Uh, no, Sheila. The the law remains the same, but.、Um The USCIS interpretation of the regulations has changed over the years.、Um, the Department of Labor regulations are pretty straightforward regard- regarding when a new LCA is required, and especially when there's a change in work location. But what's less clear is, does that change in work location amount to a material change f- needing the amended petition? And again,、uh, it cha- has changed by USCIS interpretation over the years. Okay. Okay. So you know, as as、uh, Ashley just alluded to, if the law is somewhat ambiguous and lacks very clear-cut definitions or clarity on every nuance of what we would like to get from the government, what can employers rely on as guidance? Because that's, I guess, the question of the day as far as you all are concerned. And because of the lack of practical guidance in the law. The USCIS policy memos and USCIS, the adjudicators' field manual or AFM, as we refer to it, they have been relied on for over a decade as authority that an amended H-1 petition is not required for the mere transfer of an H-1B worker to a new work site, because then they're combining the Department of Labor requirement to post a new LCA and saying, well, I guess we don't really need it. The AFM, which is what I just explained, the Adjudicator's Field Manual, and the USCIS memos. So there's a couple different memos. One is a 1992 Hogan memo, 
by the then general counsel and the 1996 Ilyanakov memo, which provide that an amended petition is not required for the mere transfer to another work site as long as the H-1B employer remains the same and the LCA continues to remain valid. So keep in mind, that means the original LCA needed to have mentioned the work location of the new transfer, the new location. However, the same memos also point out that an amended petition is required if there is a change in the work location, which would invalidate the underlying LCA. There was, there was also a, that the letter from 2003 from the, the DHS, which listed the, the situations where you would not be required to file an amendment when the, an HP, H-1B worker moves to a new work site. And that, that letter indicated that if the new LCA is certified prior to moving the employee, uh, that the appropriate postings, of course, took place, and that the wage and hour obligations are, are, uh, remain uh, continue to be satisfied. And from 2003 forward, immigration attorneys and employers were relying on that letter, and, and to an extent still rely on the letter uh, as authority that employers may move H-1B workers to new work sites without the need to file an amended H-1B petition. However, it's important to note that the letter is not binding on the USCIS. Okay, is this and the Hernandez, Efren Hernandez letter here that you're talking yes, referring yeah, to? Yes, Efren Hernandez letter. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and then uh, there, the most recent policy shift occurred then in 2010 when uh, the USCIS California Service Center indicated that amendment petitions must be filed anytime there's a change in work location or end client. Um, this was followed. There was also a, a question and answer session with the USCIS uh, with the Vermont Service Center where they indicated that they were going to be releasing guidance to provide more information on this and defining what a material change is. But that was four years ago and they have yet to release that guidance. Well, nothing new there because the government always takes, you know, we're still waiting for regulations on the uh, AC-21 law. And that was October of 2000. So in this October, it'll be 14 years. So, you know, that's nothing. So, so let's get back. So with all of this ambiguity, as if I'm a company and I'm an employer of H-1B petitions and I'm sitting here saying, hey, if these top-notch lawyers are telling me there's this letter that says that, there's that memo that says you don't need it, there's this regulation, there's this statute, there's this, and there's lack of clarity, with all of this ambiguity, what action should I, as an H-1B employer or petitioner, take into consideration? Yeah, so again, as even though the law hasn't changed, USCIS does shift their interpretation over time, and so you get inconsistent results, and therefore there are practical reasons that you would want to file an amendment when there are uh, changes such as change in work location. Uh, most importantly, it's it's important to note that the, when you do an LCA only, only the Department of Labor knows that your employee has changed their work location. It's not putting USCIS on notice that the beneficiary has, has moved to another address. And the only way to update USCS is by filing that amended petition. So there are several reasons that we can go through on, on, on issues that could come up if no amendment is filed. And the first is uh, what you had mentioned earlier about these post-approval site visits. The USCS often conducts random, unannounced uh, site visits at the H-1B worker's location that's listed on the I-129. And this is after the petition has been approved again, to verify that the employee and the employer are complying with the terms of the petition. So when you say the USCIS often conducts random and unauthorized, do you mean the fraud detection and national security? Yes. Okay. And, and after that happens, if, if 
uh, the FDNS fraud, fraud detection sh shows up at the site and they do not find the employee there, the next step usually is going to be a follow-up email or notice of intent to revoke that H-1B petition, um, the, the, the already approved H-1B petition. And so what happens is if the USCIS has issued uh, a, a notice of intent to revoke or a NOR, even where the employee obtained a certified LCA prior to moving to the new H-1B uh, location. Um, so the fact that you have that new LCA is not, the USCIS doesn't really. Uh, they're not even aware of it. They're not, yeah, aware, they're not of aware of it. And when you present it, um, that in and of itself is not going to be enough for them typically. Um, and keep in mind that if you do get a NOR, it can be very expensive to respond. Uh, the ind individual can be can fall out of status, um, requiring him to him or her to then travel abroad, usually back to his home country to get a new visa if if they've accrued any un unlawful presence following the the revocation. So it's typically much easier to fix it prior to running into the problem than after the problem occurs. Oh boy, uh, Ashley, what about the the requests for like when what are the kinds of problems that we see in cases of extensions or changes of status. Right. So that's another issue can come up if, if you only do a new LCA without the amendment when it's time to file the extension or a change of status for that H-1B worker. Um, USCIS is increasing their issu issuance of RFEs asking for more evidence that the beneficiary has been maintaining status throughout that previous H-1B uh, approval period. And again, they're taking the position that just uh, getting the LCA and not filing the amendment caused the worker to fall out of status, and therefore they might be ineligible for the extension or their change of status request. If that were to happen, if it, that request would be denied, the beneficiary might have to travel abroad, have to file a new petition, or the petition would be approved for consular notification only, and it would cause a, a delay and a disruption in their work and being able to come back and resume their, their H-1B uh, work in the U.S. Also, uh, a more long-term impact it could have is that USCIS could find the employee that is ineligible for an adjustment of status application if they considered this time out uh, that if they consider this to be time out of status. Um, if that occurred prior to them filing their I-45 application. So not only is it going to impact your H-1 status and your extension and your change and all of that and de jeopardize and make it much more difficult for you as an employer to have the consultant, but your end client will get upset. You could lose a much bigger contract and not just this one employee, but maybe many, many employees. Uh, what about the whole issue of travel? Well, travel can be a big problem. Um, we, we get this question all the time where people say, I was working at employer for employer a at you know location A, and then I moved to location B. They filed a L new LCA, but no amended petition. Now I'm going to going back home to apply for a new visa. Should I file an amended petition now? You know, is this going to be a problem? And the response is, well, yeah, it could be a problem, but the problem's already occurred. Filing the amended petition right before you go to the consulate doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fix everything because you could have been out of status. And if you, uh, it's even worse, of course, if you don't have that amended petition because if you go to the consulate. Um, especially in India, India is very. The consulates in India are very strict about this. If they look at your your LCA and they look at your petition and those addresses don't match, they typically will deny issuing issuing to the visa. Okay, and you know, I mean, as employers, as companies, I know one of the big uh, issues that is often raised when people do consultations with myself or any of the other attorneys at the multi law firm is, you know, what is this going to impact my reputation? both with USCIS in the United States and at the U.S. consular posts outside of the United States. And so that risk definitely exists. 
where the USCIS may determine and make a decision to deny the H-1B petition or an extension. Uh, they may, if you're lucky, issue an RFE or a notice of intent to revoke by giving you time to respond, or they may just outright decide to revoke or deny the petition because they may determine that there was it was speculative employment. Uh, it would also impact the not just the individual petition, but all of the other H-1 petitions by you as the same H-1 employer and all your other H-1B employees as far as the USCIS is concerned in case they have made some kind of a notation in their computer database about the company's uh, bona fides. And therefore, even though the law itself is not 100% crystal clear on what is or is not required, and we've seen memos and uh, you know opinions from different people all over the place, as a practical consideration, it may actually be easier, faster, safer, and actually in the long run, maybe even save money, if that's possible, because you're not going to lose employees and you're not going to have to deal with all those issues with NORs and RFEs and possible denials of extensions. So in general, it's a good idea to consider filing an H-1B amendment each time there is a change in the work location. And with that, I'm going to jump and ask uh, Ashley, if I can ask you, sure. uh, what are some of the advantages uh, of not filing the H-1 amendment? Because I know the legal fees are, you know, steep and the filing fees. Yeah, I mean, the real advantages just come down to cost and timing considerations. If you do an LCA only, there's no fee to the Department of Labor to do a new LCA, so you can obtain that quickly and you would be able to move your employee to the new location once it was certified. Um, it takes about seven business days to get that LCA certified. Um, again, as you mentioned earlier, without if you're not filing the amendment, then you don't have to worry about RFEs or NORs uh, on that particular petition. However, uh, and, and again, the other thing is amended petitions aren't guaranteed for approval, and you're not just updating the address, you're filing a new petition where you have to include all the evidence for the end client project and the employer-employee relationship, and it's like filing a fresh H-1B every time. So definitely just doing the LCA only, you can get the employee there much quicker and avoid a lot of cost considerations. Yeah, and the risk, like you just pointed out, the right. huge risk that the H-1 petition will not get approved. So it's not just the money, it's money and this risk that you're trying to avoid. So when an H-1 petition is required, what are the considerations in terms of timing? When must the amendment be filed? I know we talked about promptly, immediately, et cetera. Joel, if I can jump to you. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, we, we have limited amount of guidance that we can provide. Um, as we mentioned earlier, the, the USCIS regulations specifically state the petitioner shall immediately notify the service of any changes. Um, unfortunately, the USCIS does not explain what immediate means. Um, when exactly that has to be filed. So, of course, the safest action would be to file the amended petition, wait for the approval before the material change occurs. Um, but we also understand that that's not always possible to do in a, in a business sense. And so there are a couple of bases that do support filing the amended petition, either in conjunction with the material change or potentially even, even after that. Uh, do you want to discuss that, Ashley? Sure. So the first one comes from a letter from October 1995 from Yvonne Lafleur who was the chief non-immigrant branch of adjudications. And she was responding to a question on what constitutes a material change uh, because the regulations don't specify when the amended petition should be filed. And she stated in her letter that 
a petitioner should not be penalized for filing an amended petition after the occurrence of the material of the material change. Uh, this letter again, it's from 1995, but and it's been relied on, but it's not binding on USCIS. The second uh, authority would come from the AC21 portability provisions, which allow an H-1B worker to begin work with a new employer upon filing the petition. Some Attorneys also take the position that these portability provisions would extend to an H-1B worker and allow them to work in the changed employment, i.e. the new work location, upon filing of that amended H-1B petition. So we can rely on these two authorities. You might be able to to use these to obtain the new LCA and then file the amended petition. However, like I said, the letter isn't binding on USCIS and it's not clear whether or not the portability provisions, USCIS would agree with that in in every situation. So each case is unique and should be analyzed by an attorney with the employer before before proceeding with with one one way or the other. Okay, well, thank you, Ashley. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Joel. Um, I know we're always mindful of the time and we try to wrap this up between 30 to 40 minutes, but I see we're only at around 20 minutes. Uh, which which means maybe you'll have a few minutes extra today to get back to your work. But what we do want to say is um, while the law has really not changed in the last 20 or 25 years, as you can see, there is a plethora of different USCIS policy guidance regarding when an H-1B amendment is required. And this is causing, you know, levels of stress and um, for an H-1 employer and for the H-1B employees because of the time, the costs, and the the lack of clarity uh, that exists whether the H-1 petition will get approved in today's climate with the USCIS mentality uh, of sort of looking at the employer-employee relationship, the right of control, all of those factors that we are all familiar with. There are also many factors that need to be considered, such as the distance, the new job duties, the duration of the new project, as well as the current USCIS policy to determine which way the USCIS winds will blow. So just to be on the really safe side, we certainly recommend and suggest that maybe you should consult with a knowledgeable and experienced immigration law attorney who might be at least able to tell you of what the specific risks may be for your particular case in a particular situation for a particular project or a particular employee. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, you are as familiar, most of you work either with HR people or with your outside attorneys, and you make calculated business decisions on which way to proceed with a particular decision. And sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. But if H-1 workers are a huge percentage of your employees and you cannot take a risk or lose a big project, to or it's much safer. Prevention is much cheaper than cure and will be a much bigger benefit for you in the long run. So I hope we've given you some insight on the different issues to be concerned about with respect to H-1 amendments. Uh, We've had multiple discussions about H-1 and cap season and the lottery, and many people are still waiting to see what will happen because the premium cases, most of them have been issued receipt notices, but not for the other cases. So at this time, you know, we'll have to see which cases have been accepted, which haven't. It's more or less getting finalized. And for those who are not accepted, whether they can extend their F-1, go back to OPT, deal with those issues, which we've talked about about in one of our prior sessions and how you as an employer can look to, you know, enrolling in e-verifying to verify 
which many of you may already be enrolled in, to determine whether we can get the extra 17 months for your employee who's on F1 OPT to get the 12 months plus the 17 months plus maybe a cap cap extension, hopefully if they were not uh, successful in this year's H-1B lottery program. Uh, Joel or Ashley, do either one of you want to add anything or share any ideas or thoughts about issues or comments or suggestions? Uh, perhaps that you know, there are very, as you're kind of saying, it's case by case. It can be there are a lot of specifics, but there are situations where sometimes you may have a worker going somewhere for a very short period of time to a different location. There are certain times where that can be acceptable. Where the regulations do allow for that, but again, there are a lot of regulations. There's a lot of kind of twists and turns within the rules. So you shouldn't assume that you've read on a forum somewhere. You read, you know, a couple of. A couple of articles, and then you think, okay, now I'm an immigration. I know as much as the immigration lawyer. There's a lot that we don't have time to go into in these types of conversations. So, if you have any questions, you really should reach out to your attorney and, and check with them to make sure that what you're doing is correct and and the most uh, the the smartest way to conduct your business. Yeah, you're right. At one point, I think they used to say if it's less than 30 days or less than 90 days in the three-year time frame that the roving employee was allowed to rove without an H-1 amendment, and that was the trend or the thought of the day, and I'm going back 10 or 15 years. But since then, we've had all these other memos and change in policy guidance and expectations. And as the economy has sort of bobbled along, particularly after 2008, uh, when we had the financial meltdown of the Great Recession, we've seen the attitudes of the government change as well. Because in general, when the economy is very, very strong and very good, then people tend to be more uh, generous and uh, open, uh, open-hearted with allowing or encouraging workers from across the world to come in here and uh, work in different jobs. When the, there's a higher unemployment in America, then a lot of the government officials and agents, whether it's USCIS or CBP or ICE, their attitude is, hey, we are already suffering with unemployment, so we're going to tighten. And so a lot more of the site in investigators, the FDNS, the ICE agents, the Department of Labor agents, those kinds of issues that we've been talking about in multiple sessions, unfortunately, seems to be the order of the day. But I don't want to end this uh, session with kind of this panic or this concern, other than to say, be careful, be cautious, do your homework, work with the world's topmost best immigration law firm in the world, of course, the Murthy Law Firm at murthy.com, and take advantage of the articles that we put out and the news bulletins and the seminars and the conferences. A lot of the stuff is for free or at a very, very uh, nominal price. And the cost not to comply and not to understand the laws and regulations can be much, much more expensive than the nominal time and cost investment in gaining the power and knowledge because knowledge is power. So with that empowering thought, we want to thank you so much for joining us today, joining both Ashley Joel and myself, Sheila Murthy. And on behalf of all of us at the Murthy Law Firm, we wish you continued success in your business and in your endeavors. And we certainly look forward to continuing to guide you and mentor you and help you with respect to all of your immigration matters. As our slogan says, we know immigration matters. Thank you and have a great day.